you are here for the very first time today, my name is Mark and I am the lead pastor. We're excited to have you here. Uh, this second week of Advent. Advent is an old uh, word that Christians have used just to describe the season leading up to the birth of Jesus. And so Advent means waiting. We're in a series called The In-Between, talking about what it means to be a people who are waiting for Jesus to come back. At Christmas, we, Christmas we celebrate that He came the first time. Now we're waiting for Jesus to come back. We live in between the first and second comings of Jesus. And so we're talking about that as a church. Now, if you're here for the first time, we've got a free gift for you. We'd love to give that to you today. All you uh, have to do is fill out this connection card that's somewhere around you as much as you can. Take it to the welcome area out there uh, in the middle of the lobby. Um, and if I've never met you, if you have any prayer concerns, anything at all we can help you with, I'd love to, we'd love to uh, just talk to you really quick before you leave today. We'll be out there in the middle of the lobby at the welcome area as well. All right. Hey, I'm going to pray for us this morning and uh, ask God to uh, just speak to us. So would you just bow your heads in prayer this morning? Let's get our hearts ready this morning. Father, I thank you so much for Jesus, that Jesus, you came and you lived and you died and you came back to life and you're alive right now. And Father, I praise you that this season, uh, we just lean into that promise that you are Emmanuel. You are God with us. You are not the God out there. You are not the God somewhere else. You are not the God of those people over there. Father, you are with us today. You are right here in this room. And so, God, I, I just pray for your people today. God, I just pray for us as a church that, God, you would wake us up today to what we're going to talk about, Father. It's, uh, what we're going to talk about today, it's, it's from another world. And, and so, God, if you don't move, if you don't speak to us, if you don't open up our hearts to this, there's a really good chance that we're going to hear this and and this is just going to bounce off of us. This isn't uh, going to be something that lands in us. The enemy is going to just do everything he's got over the next couple of minutes to help us not to, to get us not to hear or not to receive what we're going to talk about. And Father, I just rebuke him in Jesus' name right now from this place and from every heart. I just rebuke him right now, Jesus. You are victorious over every power and principality that would want to set itself up against this place and in this room. And and God, if we didn't walk in here today expecting to hear from you, Father, I pray that right now, in Jesus' name, you just raise our expectation to the level of who you are. You are God, and you are good. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak to us today, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Let's uh, jump right in. We're going to jump right in. I want to ask you a question, and I want you to think about it with me. I want to I ask you a question, and here it is. What does it mean to be human? Think about that for just a minute. I mean, imagine somebody walks up to you and asks you that question. What does it mean to be human? And there's a few ways that you might answer that. Maybe, maybe you think, well, you know what, to be a human, it, it means that we can talk. It means we verbally communicate. You look up this question, maybe you Google it. I did. You Google this question. That's, that's the answer for a lot of people. We're able to verbally communicate. We can talk. It kind of sets us apart, everybody says, from everything else in the animal kingdom. That's what it means to be human. What does it mean to be human? Well, there's a lot of different ways we can answer that. One way that we can answer that, though, is that human beings, you and I, we are meaning makers. What that means is that, that we just give meaning, purpose, and value to anything 
and everything. I mean, uh, just this week, I was thinking about this. Just this week, I, I watched uh, Charlie Brown Christmas. Anybody watch that? Charlie Brown Christmas special? Anybody watch that? These are, these are the people that are walking with the Lord this morning. That's great. And, uh, and I was just watching this, you know, I just like that show, you know. I was watching this, and all of a sudden, I started thinking about all the times growing up. I watched this, you know, and Christmas is in the past. And all of a sudden, I'm like welling up, and it's Charlie Brown. I'm getting real emotional. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what is this, you know. And, and, and all of a sudden, just a cartoon, I'm putting meaning on it. I'm putting value with it. We do this all the time. This is the reason that our country is as divided as it is. Oh, so you voted for who? You're in this political party? We don't simply disagree, you're my enemy. What is that? It's that this person isn't a candidate. This isn't a political party. This has value. And, and, and my whole identity and worth is wrapped up in it. It has, it has purpose. It has Meaning, this is the reason why, you know, I see this a lot of times. Maybe you, uh, you tell somebody that you like a movie and it turns out they don't like that movie and all of a sudden they think you're crazy or, or they, like, they like a musician that maybe you don't like and all of a sudden you think it's weird that they have that kind of taste. And what is that? It's that all of a sudden we're putting meaning and value onto things. One of the things it means to be a human being is that we are meaning makers. We, we put meaning, purpose, and value onto things. And one of the things with that is we want meaning and purpose for our lives. We, we want meaning for our lives. We want purpose for our lives. And we're talking about this thing, this idea, what does it mean to be people who live in between the first and second comings of Jesus, and as followers of Jesus, as people who, who have given their lives to Jesus as the church, it is of the utmost importance that Christians live lives of purpose. It, it is of the utmost importance that you and I live lives of purpose. And maybe you've been in church for a while, and maybe you've heard it said, and you've heard it said so often, it it doesn't really have a lot of weight to it anymore. It just kind of, you hear it and it bounces off of you, kind of like just a normal cliche token thing that we say all the time. But I just want to remind you this morning, God has a purpose for your life. Did you know that? God has a purpose for your life. And again, you might have heard that so many times, you don't even think anything with that. But one of the things that people do all the time when, when we hear that, when we hear that phrase, God has a purpose for your life. Well, the question that comes back to people like me is, what is it? That's great, okay, that God has a purpose for my life. I, I hear this, I've heard it, you know, tons of times in church. What is it? What is God's purpose for my life? Now, so, so here's what I'm going to do today. So since it's Christmas, and I'm a nice guy, you know what I mean? I'm, I, and just in the spirit of giving, I'm going to tell you God's purpose for your life today. You don't even have to thank me later. You know what I mean? I'm just nice. I'm just this nice of a guy. It's Christmas. I'm going to tell you God's purpose for your life. So you have made a good choice in coming to church today. See, all the people that didn't come, they're going to go through life never knowing what God's purpose is. How sad. You are the only ones in Hazard who will know. Wow. Way to go, guys. Way to go. So I'm going to tell you God's purpose. I really am. I'm going to tell you God's purpose for your life today. Not trying to be cute. It's in the scriptures. Now, the specific way it plays out, I can't tell you that. We'll talk about how to figure that out in just a little bit. But, but God tells us what his purpose is for our 
lives. In fact, in fact, the Bible, if you've got a Bible, I want you to go ahead and open up your Bible. This is what we did last week, Genesis 1. So when we're talking about purpose, God answers this right on the first page of Scripture, that, that God has a purpose for our lives. And just this question that's on the screen, if God has a purpose for your life, wouldn't you want to know it? Because it's entirely possible that you're a Christian today and you're saying, "You listen, man, I've got purpose for my life. I've got vision for my life, but you didn't get it from God. Maybe you got it from some American definition of success. You got it from your mom, your dad, your friends. I don't know where you got it. You can be a follower of Jesus and have a purpose for your life, but God didn't give you that purpose. Someone else gave you a purpose. But listen, if God has a purpose for your life, wouldn't you want to know it? Purpose is not a secondary issue in the scriptures. It's literally in the very first chapter. Genesis 1:27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So, so what's God's purpose? So when we're thinking about God's purpose for our life, right here in the first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, it says that God made human beings in his image. What's it mean to be human? One of the things it means to be human is that we're made in the image of God. People say all the time, you know, well, well one of the things that sets apart humans from, say, the animals is that, man, is that humans have a soul. That's actually not right. The Hebrew word for soul is the word nephesh, and God in Genesis 1 uses that exact same word, nephesh, when he creates animals on the sea and in the land. So the thing that separates us from animals isn't necessarily that we have a nephesh, that we have a soul. The thing that separates us from everything else is we are made in the image of God. Say, so what in the world does that mean? Here's what it means. Being made in the image of God doesn't mean we look like God. Okay, God's a spirit. God doesn't have a body. Doesn't mean that we look like God. To be made in the image of God means that you and I were meant to be God's representatives in the world. I mean, think about this. Did you realize this this morning? I don't know how caffeinated you are this morning, but maybe you need to perk up a little bit. Did you know that there are characteristics that God has that you have too? Did you, did you know that? And I'm not talking to just Christians today. I'm talking to people with a pulse. So if you're here today, you're a Christian, you're an atheist, you're a Buddhist, you're a Hindu, you don't know who you are today or what you believe on that spectrum. This is true for every single person. We are made in the image of God. There are things that are true about God, and they're true about us as well. God's a creator, and we're creative. God loves, and, and we can love. God is a just God. We have a sense of justice. We were made to be God's representatives in the world. I mean, that question, like I said, I Googled it earlier, what's it mean to be human? If you Google that question, what's it mean to be human, you'll find thousands of articles, literally thousands of articles about how close mankind, you and me, how close humans are to animals. You know what you won't find a single article on? If you Google the question, what it means to be human, you won't find a single article on how close humanity is to God. And it's on the first page of the Bible. That you are closer to God than you think. So we're made in the image of God. But look, God doesn't even stop here. Verse 28 is a verse we don't talk about a lot. Look at this next verse. I love this verse. God blessed them, humanity, and God says to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
If you've been in church for a while, you've heard this verse read, and probably what you've heard a lot of people say about this verse is be fruitful and multiply, having children, that sort of things. Listen, that's in here, but honestly, it's sad that that's the only thing that we ever say about this verse. This verse, historically, it's called the cultural mandate, all right? If you want to impress people, go out today and say, what did they talk about at Summit? They talked about the cultural mandate. Boom, drop the mic, walk off stage, right? What it means is this, is that humanity, God's design, humanity was always meant to partner with God and build a civilization. I mean, that's why you read Genesis 2. Who's naming the animals in Genesis 2? You may know. Adam and Eve. God's not doing it. Adam and Eve are naming the animals. All of a sudden, you get to Genesis 2. Mankind has partnered with God. They are building a community. They are building a civilization. The cultural mandate, Genesis 1.28, be fruitful and multiply, have dominion over the earth. It means to take the raw materials that God made, dirt, wood, you know, trees and everything like that. Take everything that God made and build things with it. Create things with it. Start businesses out of it. Build a community. Teach. Make investments. Build a civilization. Listen, this is purpose for your life, church. That we're made in the image of God. And when sin comes into the picture in Genesis 3, sin doesn't remove God's image from my life. It distorts it. So sin doesn't mean that all of a sudden we've lost the image of God. No, everyone is still made in the image of God. But what happens is sin has distorted the image of God. So that instead of finding purpose and meaning in our creator, what sin causes us to do, now we want to find purpose and meaning in creation. So we went from creator to creation. So now we want to find meaning and purpose and value in things like money, sex, power, job, athletic ability, or your kid's athletic ability, grades, where we are on the org chart, our, our looks, how many followers we have online. Instead of finding meaning and value in our creator like we were, some, like we were supposed to do, now because of sin, it's distorted the image of God. Now we try to find it. In creation. But listen to me, this is purpose for your life. The very first thing that the Bible says about people, about you and me, is not that we're sinners. The first thing that the Bible says about people is that people are made in the image of God. I just want to camp on this. This, this is just introduction, all right? This is not the whole sermon today. I just want to camp on this because when I look at the world and in our community, let's just talk our community. It is pervasive, the lack of purpose that people have. I'm an accident. I have no goals. I have no purpose for my life. What will I do? Well, I'll just live my life, but just basically maybe get addicted or, you know what, there's no hope for me. Or my family's told me I, I don't count. My family tells me that I have no value. I'm not as good as so-and-so. And when you look at the world, people, it seems, have little sense of purpose. Let me just ask you, this isn't even the sermon, but maybe this is just why God brought you. Do you have any sense of purpose from your creator for your life? I mean, do you? Do, God has a purpose for me. Yeah, I know, we, we say that all the time. Can you sense it? Are, are you walking in it? You have a purpose from God. It is in your DNA. You're an image bearer. 
But this isn't the only thing that the Bible says about people. This isn't the only thing that the Bible says about you and I, especially as followers of Jesus. So if you go back to last week, and I know that you guys, just every single sermon that I've ever done here, it's written in your heart, you memorize it. I just know you love the Lord that much. So I don't even really have to remind you what we did last week much. But just in case, um, last week we talked about how God's heart was not for us to come up to him, him, but to come down to us. We saw it all over the Bible. God's heart was to come down to us. We saw it in the Garden of Eden. We saw it, Jesus. Uh, Jesus came down. The Bible ends not with us going up. The Bible ends with God coming down. Go back and listen to it, watch it last week. But something happens. Jesus comes down, lives a sinless life, dies for sin, comes back from the dead. Jesus begins to say some things towards the end of his life that indicate that there is going to be another coming down from God. God is going to come down in some other way for you and I in between the first and second coming of Jesus. I mean, Jesus will say things like this, John 14, 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. What's he talking about? Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, listen, one day I'm going to, very soon I'm going to go back to the Father, and the Father and I, we're going to send the Holy Spirit. Now, the first time we see the Holy Spirit isn't actually in the Gospels. It isn't actually in the book of Acts. The first time we see the Holy Spirit is in the second verse of the Bible, Genesis 1-2. Genesis 1-2 says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So the Holy Spirit is the agent through whom God creates everything. I mean, the Holy Spirit is right there, Genesis chapter 1. He's creating everything. The Holy Spirit is bringing creation into life. This is exactly why Paul in, in Corinthians says that when we give our lives to Jesus, we become brand new creations. Every single time somebody gets saved, the Holy Spirit comes and it's Genesis 1 all over again in somebody's heart. He's creating something brand new right inside of them. But there is something that the Apostle Paul says that's true about every follower of Jesus that for some reason we don't talk about a lot, but I'm just convinced can be a total game changer. If you've got a Bible, I want you to go ahead and open it up. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. All right? 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3, we're going to look at 16 and 17, then we're going to turn a page to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17 says this, Do you not know that you are God's, what's the next word? Temple. And that God's Spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy. And look at this, you are that temple. Now turn a page, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20, says this, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Verse 19, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So now all of a sudden, th this idea of temple is all through the Bible. God says, listen, I don't want you to come up to me. I'm coming down to you. Eden was a temple. It was the place where God, God was. It was the place of God's presence. And then, book of Exodus, you literally see the tabernacle. It was this tent that they built. What was in there? It was, it was the place where the presence of God was. It was heaven on earth. And then all of a sudden, God replaces the tabernacle with the temple. It was this massive building where the presence of God was. They went in there to worship and pray. 
Jesus comes. Jesus is another temple. He's the perfect temple, the presence of God on earth. The Bible ends with the temple coming down, new heavens, new earth coming down to us. But until that time, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that now in what could be the most shocking twist in the entire Bible, now the temple is where? Us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, now listen, listen. I was trying to think when I was putting this together. I'm pretty sure the only thing that I've ever heard sermon-wise that I've been taught about what, you, what it means that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, the only thing that I've ever been told in a sermon, in person or anything like that, that I can recall is, listen, guys, it's, it goes something like this. Your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit, so don't drink, smoke, or chew, or date girls that do. Let's pray. That was it. That was it. Your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit, so don't drink. Your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't smoke. Your body's a temple. And on and, and on and on and on and on. Your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. Treat it right, you know, while I'm over here in the corner eating fried chicken and drinking gravy or something, you know. And um, you, your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. You should take care of it. And listen, 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 listen. I ain't saying that that's not in there. But I am saying that when the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote that, the first point of application probably was not, don't smoke. Or in 2019, don't vape, I guess, right? You know? It's probably not what this means. Now, now that, again, that's, that might be in there, but that's not what this means. So what does it mean? Here's what it means. To figure it out, we got to go back to temple. Temple, temple was all about presence, it was all about the place where the presence of God was. In the temple, they went to pray. They went to worship. The temple was where literally heaven and earth overlapped. Heaven and earth came together at the temple. Eden was a temple. The temple obviously was a temple. It was the place of God's presence. You could go into the building. There was a room there, the Holy of Holies. It was, it was literally the judgment seat of God, and the only person who could go in there was the priest, and they could only go in there one time a year. Jesus, John 1, 14, Jesus is the tabernacle. He came and he tabernacled, the Bible says. He was the temple among us. And so now, the presence of God, where is the presence of God in the world? Some of it's in us. And the 930 said, amen. I love it. I love how excited you are. Think about that for a minute. The presence of God is where? It's in me. Listen, listen. You want to talk about purpose for your life? You want to talk about God's purpose for your life? Listen, God's purpose for your life is to be his presence in the world. We are the place collectively as a church and individually where the presence of God is. We are the place where heaven and earth meets. That is God's purpose for your life. God's purpose for me, for all of us, is to be a person where heaven and earth are literally coming together. That we would be the physical presence of God in the world. I mean, back to the Old Testament, the only person who could go in the Holy of Holies, the place where God was, was the priest. And listen, there was only one priest at a time and just a small group of people. But now, 1 Peter 2.9, 1 Peter 2.9 says, look at this, you are a chosen race, you are a royal what? Priesthood. Now we're all priests. Where's the Holy of Holies now? It's inside of us. Where's God's presence in the world now? Summit, it's inside of you. We're all priests, every single one of us. We have access to God. This is purpose. 
This is God's vision for your life, that we would be temples of the living God. Listen, I don't know how this is working for you this morning, how, how much this is speaking into your heart, but life is more than paying bills. Life is more than clocking in and clocking out. Life is more than retirement and then you die. You were meant to be the physical representation of the presence of God in the world. Do you see this for you? This is God's purpose for you. Again, the specifics of it, you and God have to work that out. We'll talk about it in just a minute. But this is God's purpose for you. You are a temple of the living God. So what does this mean? This, this, this is God's vision for us. This is God's purpose for us, that we would be his presence in the world today. So what does this mean? I think it means a couple of things. If you're taking notes, write this down. Let's try to get this really practical and bring this home. This is too important for us to amen or agree with it, and then we go on like nothing's going on here, nothing happened. Here's the first thing. If we're temples of the Holy Spirit, then we have to receive this. All right? We have to receive this. What I mean is this. It means that you got to believe this for yourself. All right. Last week, if you weren't here, last week I talked about how Jesus came down, and now in Christ we're the sons and daughters of God. You remember that? I asked what if you, what's God think about when He thinks about you. You know, we're the sons and daughters of God. When I preach, listen, listen. Can I just be honest with y'all? When I preach sermons like that, I feel like I got to walk off stage and get a good hug, hug, because some of y'all look at me like deer stuck in headlights when I talk about stuff like that. Here was last week in our church in both the 9.30 and the 11.15. Here was last week on some of y'all's faces, some of y'all look like this. Or some of y'all look like this. I know what both of those looks mean because I talk to you guys a lot on Facebook. I have conversations. I set up counseling meetings. I know what those looks mean from you guys, and here's what it means. I'm not talking to anybody but our church. And I know what those looks mean because here's what those looks mean. You say this to me all the time. Mark, listen, there's no way God would say that to me. It's hard to believe it, isn't it? It's hard to believe that we are the physical representation of the presence of God in the world. Why? Because we know ourselves. People say this to me all the time. There's no way that I could be a son or a daughter of God. God wouldn't say that to me. He might say it to somebody else, but not about me. Because, listen, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. Mark, I don't feel like I'm a very good Christian, so there's no way this is probably true about me. It might be true for somebody else or like you. You're a preacher. I just don't feel like this is true about me. God doesn't, maybe God doesn't know, but Mark, listen, you definitely don't know. You don't know what I've done. And again, I just need to speak to you in, in just a moment of honesty, right? I just want to be honest with you. Sometimes people come up to me and they say, Mark, listen, I just can't believe this for myself because you don't know what I've done. And i got to be honest, sometimes people say that to me and I think to myself, well, what in the world have you done? What did you do? Like, uh, Mark, listen, there's no way God could say that about me. You don't know the stuff I think about. And I think this, what in the world do you think about? You must be messed up. And here's why I think that. Because have you ever read, have you ever read in this book the people that God chooses to represent him? Right? Have you ever read this book? Right? Let's I'll just give you some examples. And I was thinking of examples here, right? Because there's all kinds of examples in Scripture of people that were just had sin in their lives, messed up, and God just worked through them. I found one, Abraham. This is an example I never hear anybody talk about. I think that this is wild that this is in the Bible. Abraham. This is the father of our faith, y'all, all right? The father of our faith. 
Genesis 12, God comes to Abram and says, listen, I want you to leave your country, go to a land I want to show you. From you is going to come a great nation. There's going to be as many descendants as the sand on the seashore. Ultimately, Jesus Christ comes. Everything starts with Father Abraham. Genesis 12, in the same chapter. Bible says that that Abraham packs up his family. They go and they get to Egypt. Have you read this story? You'll love this. Genesis 12, Abraham and his wife get to Egypt. And I promise this is not me trying to be funny or dramatic. Read it, Genesis 12. Abraham and his wife get to Egypt. Abraham walks up to Sarah and says, Listen, Sarah, you're an attractive woman. And if they found out that you're my wife, they're going to kill me. Um, So can you tell everybody that you're my sister so that it goes well for me in here? (laughs) The father of the faith, Abraham. That's literally what it says. It's not going to go well. I was trying to think what that was like. So if you're you're having trouble with that, the modern-day equivalent of that might be you, you and your spouse are going to your high school reunion, and before you walk in, your spouse looks at you and says, Listen, I used to date a couple of these people in here, and I think I still might have a chance with some of them, so it'll be better if you tell everybody you're my cousin. That's the father of the whole thing. And God sees that guy and says, oh, give me that one. I'm going to use that guy right there, right there. Like, what have, you, what have you done? And listen, I'm not making light of sin in anybody's life. You'll see that in just a minute. But here's the thing. Listen, listen, listen. We have listened to the lies of the enemy for too long. We are who God says we are. Amen? We are the temple of the living God. We're the presence of God. In the, you have to receive it. You have to receive oh, That's true for somebody else. I'm not talking to anybody but you. You've got to receive it right here in your heart. This is true about me. I'm a temple of the living God. Second thing it means, and you've got to keep these two together. It balances each other out. If we're the temple of the living God, then we should be different. I want our church to listen to this. If we're the temple of the living God, we should be different. Different from the world. Different doesn't mean better. It just means different. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. I'm going to read it again. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Watch this. Do you not know that your body is a physical temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Watch this. You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So when I say different, what I mean is different from the world, and different doesn't mean better. I'm holier than you. I'm better than you. No, different means that the Spirit of God lives inside of me, and because of that, I am different. See, here's the message the world tells you. The world gives us this message. The culture gives us this message. Listen, your body's your own. Do whatever you want with it with whoever you want. You do what feels good. You hook up with whoever you want to. You do what, listen, the worst thing that you could do in the culture that we live in is deny your true self. And your true self is whatever you feel in the moment. Can I just point our church's attention to verse 19? You are not your own. When I give my life to Jesus, I give my life to Jesus and I go to Jesus and I say, Jesus, this is yours. What? All of it. Everything I do in and with this body now belongs to Jesus Christ. What I touch, what I look at, what I think about, where my feet take me, what I do with my body, what I do in my body, everything in me. This is not my own. Mark Combs does not own this body. I gave it up to Jesus when I met him in April of 1996. Hello? Hello? Have you surrendered to Jesus like this? This is not my own. Have you surrendered your sexuality to Jesus? Your money 
to Jesus, your relationships to Jesus, what you think about to Jesus, where you, where you go and what you do with your time to Jesus. You need to surrender this to Jesus over and over, but i got to ask you, have you done this at least one time? Say, listen, Mark, I'm not really interested in that. I just want to go to heaven when we die. Listen, the only reason I'm doing this series is to tell us that there is no version of Christianity where all we do is go to heaven when we die and live however you want till you get there. Hello? That is not in the Bible. That is not from Jesus. It might have been from your grandpa. It might have been from your mom and dad. It might have been from the church that you went to. But you did not get it from the scriptures and you did not get it from Jesus Christ. Jesus says, follow me. Jesus is Lord. Amen? Lord doesn't mean assistant. Lord doesn't mean that he's in the passenger seat and you're in the driver's seat. Lord means Lord. So if you surrender to him, like, different, different, that the Spirit of God is in me. Listen, if my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, then what I do in, with my body, what happens in my body, if it grieves the, if it grieves the Spirit, then it should grieve me, Right? our bodies are temples of the Spirit, anything we do with our bodies that grieves the Spirit should grieve us. So if we're temples of the Spirit, we need to believe it. We need to be different, that the Spirit of God is changing us. Here's the next one. Here's another one. If we're temples of the Holy Spirit, then we have to be people of prayer. If we're temples of the Holy Spirit, then we have to be people of prayer. Jesus walked into the temple, turned the tables over, kicked everybody out. Listen, and a lot of people think that the reason that, it, that, they did, that, that he did that was because he, people were selling things in the temple. That's not what they were doing. Jesus didn't turn over the tables because they were having a bake sale. Jesus turned over the tables in the temple because Jesus says, My house will be a house of prayer, and y'all ain't doing it. My house will be a house of prayer, Jesus says. Where is Jesus' house right now? Right here. And right there in you. You are the house of the Lord. You are the house of the Lord. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. What's God's house? God's house is a house of prayer. Listen, I'm not going to say a lot on this point because honestly, 2020 is going to be a year. I'm just going to unpack prayer. We, we're going to do the longest series we've ever done as a church. Start at February, the first Sunday of February. Ten weeks on prayer. Woo! It's going to be amazing. So I'm not going to spend all morning talking about this point, but I just want to say to you, listen, you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. You have access to God. You are a son. You're a daughter of God. And when God's kids talk, the Father listens. Hello? Amen? And the devil's telling you, no, listen, when, God, when you talk to the Father, the Father listens. Mark, I don't know what to say to God. Talk to God the way that kids talk to people, the way that kids talk to adults, the way that kids talk to parents. They, there's no form. There's no structure to it. They just say whatever, whatever they feel. They just yell out to their parents. The, Jesus says, be like kids. That's how we should talk to God. Just talk to him. Just, just talk to him. Talk to him while you're walking down the hall at school, at work, at home, in your neighborhood. Talk to him. Listen, if we are the physical presence of God in the world, if we're to be the, the temples of the Holy Spirit, then let's be houses of prayer. Just walk through wherever you are on a daily basis and say, God, why am I here? God, I hate my job. Why am I here? 
Maybe you're at that job and it ain't got nothing to do with you. You got a coworker that's about to walk through something and they're going to start crying out to God. And God put a physical representation of his presence right there in the office. And there you are. And it hasn't even come to fruition yet, but God is going to use you right there in that office. Walk through your school. God, why am I here? Walk around your house. God, why am I here? Again, the specifics of what God's purpose for our lives as being temples of the Spirit The specifics of the way that works out, I can't tell you, but Summit, God can tell you. So ask Him. God, why am I here? God, what do you want me to do today? What's what's that purpose of me being your presence in the world? What's that look like right here? And be a person, be a presence of prayer. Here's the last one, then we're done, all right? If we're temples of the Holy Spirit, then we have to prioritize the presence of God. I believe this is a word from God for our church. That our church needs to prioritize the presence of God. If we are temples of the Holy Spirit, then we're to prioritize the presence of God. This is in our own lives. So in in my own life, I need to prioritize the presence of God. What's that mean? What it means is this. Seek God. Build a relationship with Him. At Christmas, we say Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Summit, listen. Jesus is still Emmanuel with us us. Hello? With you. We don't have a God who's out there. We don't have a God that's simply up in the sky. We have a God who is with us. So prioritize the presence of God. Seek Him in prayer. Spend time with Him in the Scriptures. Prioritize church with your family. Spend time in silence, solitude, fast for a deeper awareness of the presence of God. Prioritize the presence of God in your life. Listen, I don't know what the vision you have for your life is. I don't know what your goals are. I don't know what you sense is the purpose for your life. But listen to me. If it is anything less than being someone who is the presence of God in the world, then your vision is too small. If the purpose you have for your life is anything less than being a place where heaven and earth meet, then your vision is too small. You are a place Where heaven and earth has come together by a miracle of the Son of God and a work of the Spirit who's alive in you. Heaven has come down and dwells in you. Man, listen, Hazard needs people like this. Amen? Hazard needs people. Who, who are not perfect? We're not perfect. Who, who are convinced we're not better than anybody else? We're not better than the broken. We're not better than, than those who are struggling with addiction. We're not better than anybody. But it is by the sheer grace of God. We are the presence of God to a broken world. And listen, when you walk out in the world today, you are walking out into a world looking for purpose, looking for vision, looking for something To live for. And we have found it. Amen? I mean, that's what we talk about. That's what we sing about. We have found it. We have found the purpose for our life. And his name is Jesus, the bread, the the fountain of living water. He's the living bread. The Spirit of God lives in us. Hazard needs people who say, Jesus, listen, if you are looking for somebody who's willing to be a physical representation of your presence... In my school, here it is. If you're looking for a mom or a dad who's just willing to be a temple of the Holy Spirit for their kids and the next generation to look at, here I am. 
God, if you're looking for somebody to completely change the direction of my workplace, if you're looking for just a temple where your presence can dwell in and through, God, here I am. God, if you're looking for a group of people to come down and send a revival that completely changes the direction and trajectory of eastern Kentucky, Father, here we are. We're the temples of the Holy Spirit. So I think a good way just to end this today would be the simple prayer that everybody prays all over the book of Acts. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. God, fill me with the Spirit. God, fill us with the Spirit. So let me ask you today, if, you, if you're here, do you feel empty? Do you feel like you don't have purpose? Or maybe you used to and you forgot it. Do you feel this week, this morning, that just the weight of the world is on you? Are you thirsty this morning? Are you hungry this morning? Listen, you are hungry and thirsty for the living water. And Jesus says if you ask, he will give us the Spirit. So, Father, fill us with the Spirit. So that's the invitation this morning. In fact, I'm going to come down, and if you want to get up out of your seat in just a moment, just come right here and get on your knees or make your chair an altar and make that your prayer. God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. There'll be more of you and less of me. Just make that our prayer this morning. Would you pray with me this morning, Father? I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would come and you would fill us with the Spirit. Father, Hazard needs people like this. Our families need it. Our church needs it. And God, we just receive this for ourselves, Father. I pray that you'd help us to believe this. I pray you'd help us to walk in it. And I pray that even this morning, you would just make us desperate and hungry to be filled with the Spirit. Just with every head bowed and every eye closed in this moment of prayer, is there anybody and you'd say, that's my prayer. I want to be filled with the Spirit in a fresh and new way. Put your hand up right now. Just put your hand up. Hands are going up all over this room. Amen. 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 Listen, if you just put your hand up, I just want to challenge you to get up out of your seat right now and come and get on your knees before God. Make this altar a place of prayer and say, God, fill me with the Spirit. Just come on right now, if that's you. If God is speaking to you, if you just raise your hand, God's moving in your heart. Say, God, I need more of the Spirit. You come. People are coming. You come. And let's just give God space. God, I need the Spirit this morning. I need the Spirit to remove the place that anxiety's taken in my life and build a place of trust. I need the Spirit to heal me from bitterness and fill me with a sense of forgiveness. I, God, I need the Spirit. I need the Spirit just to continue to press on, just to continue to trust, just to continue to walk with you. Some of you are here, and, and you've got a vision for your life from the Father. You've got a vision for your life from God, but it's not coming as quick as you thought. It's not coming as fast as you thought. You're about to give up, and, and you need to ask God, fill me with the Spirit again so that I won't quit, so that I won't give up. God, strengthen these hands that are getting weak and these knees that are getting tired. God, fill me with the Spirit. If that's you, you come. You say, God, fill me with the Spirit. And God, right now in this time of response, that's our prayer for our kids. It's our prayer for our grandkids. That's our prayer for the next generation is that you would fill the next generation with the Holy Spirit. God, I'm thinking about those kids that right now are in Summit Kids. Father, that right now you would fill them with the Holy Spirit, that you would give them supernatural understanding. You would open up their eyes and their ears to see that they are, that they are made in your image, that, they're, that they matter, that they have value. And that you want to be a place where your presence can dwell in their lives. 
open those kids up to you, God, for that. God, I pray for parents who are here, that Jesus, you would fill them with fresh vision. Fresh vision for their sons and daughters to be men and women filled with the Spirit. God, I pray for those who are married here today. Fill them with fresh vision of a marriage filled with the Spirit. God, fill those who are single here today with a fresh vision of a life filled with the Spirit. Father, that they lack nothing because they have you. Father, I pray for every single student. Fill them with fresh vision of what it means to be a temple in their school. Fill us with fresh vision for what it means to be a temple where we work. Fill us with fresh vision of what this city would look like if the people of God would humble ourselves and say, Jesus, here we are. We just surrendered in a fresh and new way that the presence of God would flood our lives so that you can come through us. God, do it. We are temples of the living God. So Jesus, until you come, Jesus, until you come, help us to be people where heaven and earth has come together. Help us to be the physical representation of your presence in a broken world. Fill us with purpose. Fill us with vision. We are the temples of the living God. We receive that today. So Father, as this time, as we bring this service in just a moment to a close, God, I rebuke the enemy who wants to steal everything we just talked about from our hearts. He is a liar. We are who you say we are. And we claim it and we receive it. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people said in agreement, amen.